I was looking not too long ago at a photograph from a birthday party my parents threw for me when I was four or five years old. And of course, saw my parents there, saw my brothers there. But what struck me about the photo was that most of the kids were unfamiliar faces to me at this point in my life. I didn't know who they were. There were a couple of kids that I had grown up with that I knew through high school that I immediately was able to point out. But as I looked at the picture with my own kids and they were asking me, who's that guy? Who's that guy? I realized I don't know who any of these people are. Maybe you've had that experience looking at an old picture from your childhood to realize that the kids that you were friends with, you are no longer friends with. And not only that, you can't remember them. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is because when we are small, our parents pick our friends, don't they? We don't have a list of criteria or certain philosophical discussions we want to have with our four-year-old buddies or anything like that. We don't select our friends usually when we are that age. Instead, our parents pick our friends based on where we live, based on who their own friends are, who may be at their church or in their neighborhood, and they decide this kid will be your friend, right? And they put you together at a birthday party. As you get older, you begin to select your own friends. But what's interesting is the criteria sometimes by which we select our friends may not be really any better or well thought through than they are when we're very small. So for me, I remember when I approached junior high and high school, I remember basically picking my friends dependent on who was popular. I wanted to be a part of a certain group and there were kids that I identified as cool or popular and so I would want to be near them. And the criteria by which they were decided to be popular was usually very superficial. They had the right haircut, they wore the right clothes, they played on the right team, whatever it may be. We didn't have detailed, significant criteria about their character by which we decided we wanted to be around those kids. So I can remember the cafeteria in my junior high there was one table where all of the popular kids sat and the rest of us would try to crowd around that table like little moons orbiting their suns, you know, because we wanted to be near that group, believing if we could be friends with those people, our life would improve dramatically. And most of us have experienced that intense drive at times for community, to have friends, to be near people. That begins so young because it is implanted in us by God. One of the first things that we see in the book of Genesis is after God created the world and after he made mankind, he looked at Adam and the one time he says it is not good in that whole episode is it is not good, what? For the man to be alone. That of all the good things in his universe, it's not good for him to be all alone without companionship. And so, of course, you know, he created his wife Eve to be a companion for him. Because we are designed to live together. And that design goes beyond, in fact, even marriage. That we are designed for friendship and for relationships and for community with one another in God's world and among God's people. That's how we are made. And so as we look at the book of Proverbs this summer, one of the things that you'll see throughout the book of Proverbs is that as Solomon gives wisdom to his own son, he talks a lot about friendship. He talks a lot about the type of people you spend your time with and how they're going to affect your life because he knew that his own son would make friends. 
would want community, would want to listen to people. And so he was deeply concerned about the type of people he spent time with. And so it's one of the major themes, actually, of the book of Proverbs. And the author of Proverbs, Solomon, gives us a number of characteristics of good friends, but he also tells us why we need them in the first place. Let me show you a few Proverbs about friendship. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, we'll come back to that proverb later in the sermon, but one of the reasons we need people is for those moments in our life when we are struggling, when there's difficulty, what can friends do? They come around us and they encourage and they help and they lift our spirits and they provide the community we need at those difficult points in our life. Friends also sharpen us. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Just as these two iron rocks rub off the rough edges with the right friends, They rub off the edges of our character, the hard edges, the rough edges, those places where we need to be shaped and transformed more into the character of God. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We change when we are in relationships with other people. And that's the way God intended it. So we need other people. We need friends in our lives. Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, he talks about friendship this way. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. In other words, friends provide comfort and companionship and encouragement and safety. They provide all of these things in life that we all need. And yet, as Solomon will say, uh, because we need friends so deeply and because they can have such an impact on our lives, we need to be cautious about how we choose them. And unlike the sort of non-thinking way that we often approach friendships. The author of Proverbs here tells his son, we need to think carefully. He says in Proverbs 12, a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A righteous man is cautious in friendship. Why is that? Because you will become like the people you spend the most time with. You will take on the characteristics and the mindset and the attitudes of those that you spend the most time with. And so for some of us in here, it may be that as we go through the Proverbs this morning, we need to rethink our friendships from two perspectives. It may be that you will become aware that the people you have surrounded yourself with are drawing you farther away from God rather than closer toward God. And it may be that there are relationships in your life that are damaging to your spiritual health and you may need to take a step back from certain relationships. It may be on the other side of things that you look at your own life and as we look at the characteristics of a godly friend, you go, that's not me. And I need God's help to become the type of friend who draws other people to know him better. Now, I, I want to make a caveat or two here. I am not saying that when people are difficult or people are sinful or imperfect, that we don't love or show compassion or care for them or even help them out. Right? If we waited, by the way, for perfect friends, we would never have any. We wouldn't even be able to be friends with ourselves. So that's not what Proverbs is saying. 
Instead, it is talking about who are those men and women that you draw into your closest circle, that you allow to influence you, to give you advice, to give you counsel, the people that you run with most of the time. Do they draw you toward the character of Jesus Christ or pull you away? That is where Proverbs is going to go. It's funny, my kids and I happened to be watching an old episode of the show Leave it to Beaver yesterday. Um, Some of you will remember this show. Some of you have no memory of it at all. Uh, But uh, if you remember, the older kid on that show, Wally, has this friend, Eddie Haskell, right? And Eddie is just a terrible kid. I mean, there's no other way around it. He, he's deceptive. He's mean. He plays mean tricks. And the, on this particular episode, Eddie had played a really, really mean, dirty trick on the beaver, which he was doing all the time on the show. And at one point in the show, uh, the dad, Ward, goes, Wally, I, d- I don't know sometimes how you put up with Eddie. And Wally said, well, gosh, dad, he's, he's a rat, but I got to have a best friend, don't I? Right? And my response to that would be, yes, but he doesn't have to be a rat. Those that we allow into our closest inner circle, the scripture actually says we're called to be cautious because they will impact us deeply. And so it may be as we look at the Proverbs this morning that all of us go, you know what, there are some changes in my life, some changes that need to be made even in my relationships to have relationships that are full of wisdom. Because ultimately what we'll see is good friends reflect the character of Jesus and draw us closer to God. I realize Proverbs is in the Old Testament, and so the name of Jesus is not mentioned. But of course, as we know, all of the scriptures ultimately tell about Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh, and he is the living and perfect representative of what a friend ought to be. And we're going to see that as we walk through this sermon, that the character of Jesus is the character of a perfect friend and the character we want to emulate when we think about friendship. And so good friends, if I'm going to be a good friend and if I'm going to have good friends, good friends reflect the character of Jesus and draw us closer to God. I'm going to walk through five characteristics of good friends from the Proverbs this morning. And what we'll see is that all of them, all of those characteristics are designed so that you and I as friends of one another can draw each other to Jesus and to the character of God. All right, so let's look at these characteristics throughout the book of Proverbs. First of all, Good friends encourage godly character. Encourage godly character. Look at chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise grows wise. In other words, that's a a more complex way of saying you will become like your friends. Most of us have had an experience at some point of spending time with a person who has different customs or a different accent maybe and you take on that accent. Maybe you have a friend who is from England and you find that after you spend time with that person, you use British terms like lorry or lift, right? And you drink tea and you eat biscuits or cookies or whatever because you become like your friends. It may be you have family members who have a strong Texas accent and you don't normally, but when you're with them, it comes out because all of us are suggestible. All of us will take on the characteristics of those that we're around. Uh, My older brother, when we were growing up, had a friend, I'll call him Bill. And Bill was normally a very nice kid about 80% of the time. Except when he was around another friend of his named Chad and Chad was a bully. 
like to pick on kids, like to make fun of them, like to pick fights. All of a sudden, if Bill got around Chad, you know what? Bill became a bully and started acting like Chad because he wanted to fit in with his friend. You and I will become like our friends. And that is true whether you are five or whether you are 95. See, often we think that once we achieve a certain age, we're no longer suggestible, that we are no longer subject to peer pressure, but it's not true. Men and women, if you spend time with individuals who denigrate the institution of marriage, for example, the odds are you'll begin to feel cynical about it also. Spend time with people who cut down their spouse or insult others or are sarcastic or cynical. You're likely to take on those attributes. I remember when I was young, somebody telling me, be careful that you don't sit always in the back of the class with the kids who mock and make fun of the instructor. Because guess what? If you spend time with mockers and fools, you can become one. You remember when we began the study of the book of Proverbs, we said there's several characters that show up repeatedly throughout the book. One is the wise person. The wise person is seeking knowledge and wisdom and discernment from God and is wise, but knows that he or she needs more wisdom and so seeks it. Another person that pops up frequently is the fool. And remember, the fool is the person who thinks that he's wise, but he's not. Because he thinks his way is best, because he resists counsel, he resists input from God's word, he resists God's way and says, my way is best. And Solomon says, if you spend time with those individuals who are rebellious to the authority of God, then you're liable to become that way as well. A wise person leads you toward wisdom. Recently, I had an opportunity to tell my own kids, if you are sitting with a wise person, person. The best thing you can do is ask questions and listen to glean wisdom and become wise. So the question is, are those in your closest inner circle, are they men and women who are seeking wisdom, who are pushing you toward wisdom? Are you a friend like that as well? A good friend says, I want you to know God better. I want you to reflect the character of Jesus and the primary purpose of this relationship is that both of us will know him. Good friend encourages godly character. Secondly, a good friend keeps confidences. Keeps confidences. A couple of passages. Uh, chapter 11, verse 13. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. That word talebearer has the idea of someone who is a malicious slanderer. This is the person who uses secrets to try to hurt others or to try to get something for themselves. So this is the person that deliberately spreads gossip and rumors. And there's always drama surrounding this person. They are the tail bearer, right? This is when you're a kid, the one who finds out about some other kid who wets the bed and tells everybody in the social circle. This is the person who finds humiliating photos of you from high school 20 years later and tweets them. That's the tail bearer. And says, I'm going to use this relationship and the things that I know about you where you're vulnerable to hurt you. So I have leverage over you. He who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Another passage, Proverbs 20, verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. In the first half of the verse, you have that idea of a slanderer again. The second half of the verse here that word gossip is less of a malicious gossip, but it has the idea of the person who just can't help himself. 
he gets information and he just has to share it. This is the friend that you say, you know what, we're expecting a baby, but don't tell anybody for a couple of months. And they put it on Facebook. Not out of malice, but just they can't hold it in. They've got information and it just flows from their mouth like water from a spigot. And they can't keep it in. But a good friend keeps confidences confident. That I'm not talking, by the way, about somebody who keeps things hidden that ought to be revealed. I'm not talking about the person who is willing to hide a body in your trunk or help you commit a crime or something like that. Okay? Instead, what I'm saying is this. In the normal course of a healthy friendship, in order to help one another know God better, there has to be an environment of trust. There has to be an environment where I feel comfortable sharing my weaknesses and vulnerabilities with a small group of friends, knowing that outside of that circle, it will not be spoken and they can help and give counsel and input. And I know I can trust them. If I cannot trust them, there's not an environment in which growth can occur. One way to know if a person is sharing dirt about you with others is to listen to what they share with you about others. If an individual frequently brings you dirt about their other friends, you can almost bet they're taking dirt about you to others. And so Solomon says, do not associate with a gossip because they create an environment of mistrust and drama and damage and pain. And that's not an environment where growth happens well. Some of us in this room may need to pull back and say, am I that person? Am I the gossip? Others, we may need to say, are my friends those types of individuals that spread drama and create friction because they cannot keep their mouths shut about sensitive matters? A good friend keeps confidences. Thirdly, good friend respects space. Look at... uh, Chapter 25, verse 17. This is one of my favorite Proverbs on this subject, by the way. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house or he will become weary of you and hate you. Okay, the idea, what a vivid proverb, but the idea is this. If you are always around somebody, if you never give them space, what happens? They get tired of you. They get weary of you. I remember when I was in college one year, we had a party at our apartment. And of course, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people were there. But of course, as the hour got later and later, more and more people uh, began to leave, right? They went home to their own homes. They went to bed. And the party, like parties often do, sort of trickled down to where there were a few people left. And then after several hours, there was us, our roommates, and one guy left in the room. And he stayed and he talked and he stayed and he talked. For hours and hours and hours after everybody else had departed. Uh, As the hour got later and later, we finally uh, gave him some subtle hints. You know, the party's kind of over and we're getting tired, right? So we would yawn or kind of rub our eyes and go, man, we need to go to bed. He kept talking. I'm not making this up. We went and put on our pajamas (laughs) and he kept talking and he stayed. Uh, Literally, we went, we got in our beds and we laid down and he followed us into our bedroom and stood at the door and continued talking and talking until finally we said, we need you to please leave. The party was over hours ago, right? This is what Proverbs 25, 17 is saying, that good friends provide space 
Why is that? Because when I feel the need to smother another person with my friendship, what that reflects is I don't trust you and me to God. What it means is this. I feel like I always have to be in your presence and always have to be in your life because I don't trust God to to work in your life. I don't trust you to make other friends and have other things going on besides me. And I don't trust God with my life because I need you so badly that I cannot be away from your presence. And so Proverbs says a good friend respects space because they know that in this space, there's room for the person to grow. And my primary desire in friendship is not that the person is always around me, but that the person knows God. And so has room to make their own decisions, has room even to make mistakes, and has room to do things apart from me. All of us need that kind of space at times in relationships. I can remember one year with my roommate. I roomed with the same person for five years throughout college and even for a year after college. We're still friends, which is a divine miracle, I think, to this day. But there was one semester where we were in the same organizations, same church, same classes. We were together from about seven in the morning until sometimes midnight or two in the morning, and then would go to bed and see each other all day long the next day. And both of us began to weary of one another and need space. That's normal. So Solomon says, allow that type of space and friendship so that the person can thrive and grow with God. And you can trust God with that person. God does that at times even with you and me, doesn't he? He allows us to make our own decisions. He allows us to make mistakes. He allows us some delegated responsibility over our lives because he cares about us and wants us to grow. And so a good friend does not smother. A good friend does not demand that I always need you there, but respects that space so the person can grow to be more like Jesus. Fourthly, good friend gives honest counsel. Gives honest counsel. Two verses here. Verse six of chapter 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The idea is this. It's better... It's better to be hurt by a friend who gives you honest input than to be flattered by an enemy who doesn't really have your best interest at heart, right? The enemy is the person that even though he knows you can't sing, he won't tell you that and encourages you to try out for American Idol, right? That's not your friend, even though they may look like your friend because they flatter. But a true friend is willing to give honest counsel. To say, here's an area you need to grow. Here's an area you need to change. Here are some weaknesses I see in your life and your heart. And a good friend will give that type of honest counsel. But verse 9 also tells us that a good friend does it kindly. Oil and perfume make the heart glad so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. The counsel of a close friend is truthful but also kind. In some relationships, uh, counsel is either truthful or kind, right? In some marriages, that's the case where a spouse is perhaps truthful but not kind, right? Always critical, always complaining, always unkind with their words. In other marriages, perhaps a spouse never says what needs to be said and allows issues to build up out of fear of being unkind. But a good friend is both 
I had a professor in seminary who told a story about how his own wife, as a good friend, would sometimes provide good counsel, honest counsel, about his sermons. But she had learned how to do it in a way that was kind. So he said, for example, she doesn't give me this feedback right after I preach on Sunday morning because she knows that I'm sensitive in those moments. And so she waits a few days. But he said, uh, some time ago, my wife gently, as the next Sunday approached, said, I need to give you some feedback about something you're doing when you speak that you need to stop. And he said, well, what is it? I'm ready. I'm ready to hear it. She goes, well, when you start making a point, you get your hands going. And then she said, sometimes one of your hands will stay up here and your thumb will slowly drift to your forehead and it will rest there like this as you talk to everybody. And he said, I am not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. And she said, you are, you are. Trust me, just try not to do that. He said, Wouldn't you know that the next Sunday as I was preaching, I began to do this and made a point. And he said, I put my hand up here like this and I was talking and I looked over and there it was. (laughs) And he said, she was right. It was drifting over here. Now she could have just let that continue, right? Would that have been kind in that friendship? No. In that marriage? No. He needed to know that. But she could have said it in a way that hurt his feelings and damaged the relationship and made him feel like a fool too. See, she was honest, but she was also kind. Many times in my life, I've benefited greatly by men and women who have been willing at key points to pull me aside and say, here's something in your life that ought to change, not because it bothers me, but because it's inconsistent with the character of God in Jesus Christ. And the the men and women that have had the greatest impact invariably are men and women also that have these other characteristics. They're people I can trust. They're people who have invested in my life often over a period of years so that in the right timing, in the right way, with the right spirit, I can hear that counsel. And that's what good friends do. Because that is also the nature of God. That he loves us enough to tell us the truth, but also loves us enough to give his son to die. And so he is truthful, honest, but kind. Finally, a good friend proves faithful in the midst of adversity. Proves faithful in the midst of adversity. A couple of Proverbs here. Chapter 25, verse 19. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. So if you've ever had a bad tooth and bitten into an apple or something hard, a piece of candy, maybe that's how you got the bad tooth in the first place, you know what happens, right? You bite into it expecting to be able to eat something and that tooth just kind of gives way, right? All of us have had that experience when we were real little, right? And the, the little baby teeth would begin to wiggle and get loose. And maybe you've seen a kid bite into an apple and come away and there's the little tooth, right? In the apple. Or an unsteady foot. If you've ever had a foot or a knee that wasn't working like it was supposed to. It's extremely frustrating not to be able to trust your own legs, isn't it? To go, I ought to be able to walk and put weight on these legs, but right when I need them, they fall. He says, that's what a faithless person is like in time of trouble. When your car breaks down, when you find yourself in the hospital, when there's trouble in your personal life, those men and women, as you lean on them, they're gone. On the other hand, the proverb that we looked at at the beginning of the message, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. The character of a godly friend 
is one who is there in good times and in hard times. And is often willing to give up their own enjoyment, their own activities in order to serve and be there with a friend in a difficult time. My sophomore year of college, one evening in my dorm room, I received a call from uh, my high school girlfriend who I was still dating at the time and she broke up with me. And uh, so I hung up the phone and I was sad and I was hurt. And, and literally right after I hung up the phone, I, the phone rang and I picked it up and it was uh, my friend Chris and he's cheerful and he's extroverted and he gets on the line and he goes, hey, would you like to go rollerblading with me and about 15 friends? That, that was a thing we did back then. We went rollerblading, right? And he goes, would you like to go? And I said, man, I'm just, I'm not feeling that tonight. I'm sorry. And he goes, oh, everything okay? And I, I started crying. I, I'll just be honest. I wasn't trying to, I just, Bleh! you know, and, and I wasn't trying to, but I said, I'm so sorry. I can't go. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll be right over there. And instead of going to his party, he came to my dorm room and he sat there with me for an hour and he asked me what had happened and he talked to me and he encouraged me and he listened. And then after about an hour, he said, I think you need to go rollerblading, right? And so <laughs> we left and we went. A good friend is there in adversity as well as in good times. The ultimate example of such a friend, of course, is Jesus. That Jesus, while we were yet sinners, while we were separate from God, while we were far away, what did he do? He died for us. He gave his life on our behalf. I love John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That is the character of Jesus, our friend. He is the ultimate example of a friend who is faithful in adversity, that he died on our behalf for our sin and rose again so that we can have life with God again. If you know him this morning, then your mission is to reflect that in your relationships, to reflect his faithfulness, to reflect that even in hard times, you're there as he is. It may be that you're here this morning and you have not yet entered into a relationship with God through Jesus. And here's the great news. Wherever you are in your human friendships, maybe you feel very lonely and isolated and separate from friendships, or it may be that you have a lot of friends, but you're aware that in your human friendships, there are still things lacking as you look through this list of characteristics, you know, there are still things lacking even in your human friendships. Wherever you are in those relationships, the great news this morning is that there is a perfect friend, one who perfectly represents all of the characteristics of a true friend. And he wants to be your friend so you can know God for eternity. Jesus died for our sins and rose again so we can have eternal life. And all who believe in him have him as a friend forever and ever and ever. And once you know him, then you have the opportunity through the power of his spirit to reflect him in all of your relationships and all of your friendships. Good friends draw us closer to Jesus and help us reflect the character of God. That's what they do. That's what we are called to do. It may be that you need, as you're here this morning, you are aware that you need to rethink some relationships in your life. I know when I was involved in college ministry, it was very, very common uh, 
that a student would come in and say, I have a struggle, whatever it may be, with perhaps a substance abuse or a sexual immorality issue, or I'm just drifting from God. And as we began to talk, we found that one of the primary factors keeping that person from knowing the Lord well was that they had surrounded themselves with people who were rebellious to God's ways, who were drawing them away from the Lord. And sometimes the first step to take for some of those individuals was to say, you need to find a new roommate. Or a new set of friends that will help you walk closely with Jesus. And it may be whether, again, you're young or whether you're old in here this morning. You think about your friendships and you go, I have some friendships that I need to step back a little bit from. Not that I don't care about those people. Not that I don't pray for them. Not that I don't love them. But I need to step back from allowing those individuals to have a deep and lasting influence in my heart. It may be that on the other side, you're here and you say, you know what, I am not a friend like I'm being called to be. I know every time I have gone through this subject in the Proverbs, I find areas of my own life and heart where I go, I need to grow and change. By the power of the Spirit of God, I want to be a better friend. And so the question is, how is the Spirit of God convicting you and me this morning in this area of friendships? We're going to celebrate communion as we close. And as we do, there are a couple of thoughts that I want us to take with us. And the first one is this. I want us to spend time thanking God for being a perfect friend. Thank him for sending his son when we needed a friend most desperately. And then pray he'll help us find godly friends and become godly friends so that we can help others and so that we ourselves can be shaped into the image of God through Jesus Christ. Pray that his spirit would work in our hearts to draw us closer to him and make us the type of friends who have the type of friends that he's calling us toward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we just sang that Jesus is our perfect savior, your perfect son who came as our friend so that we can know you. We thank you for his death and his resurrection that provide us with life forever. And we pray that we would reflect his character in our friendships, in our relationships, with our words and our attitudes and our actions. We're grateful for this time and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.